He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning. We have a very powerful show for you today. We have Larry Kudlow to talk about the economy. Barney Frank, who was Dodd Frank, the Frank that did the, the rules for banks, talking about Signature Bank in New York. We have Dr. Peter Michalos. We have Dick Morris. We have Mario Konomo, what's going on in Europe that's affecting America. And to start the show, a very powerful interview I did with Bo Schnurdley on Saturday to talk about the possible Trump indictment. With us, our station's owner, our station's operator. He is an author, has a new book on the market. John Katsimatidis. John, thank you for joining us. How are you? Well, good morning. Uh, I am well, and uh, thank you uh, for having me on. Uh, the It's big news this morning that President Trump, uh, who I have not announced I'm going to be supporting, but if this happens, uh, Bo, and the former president of the United States gets arrested, gets fingerprinted, gets handcuffed uh, in New York over a prostitute looking to shake him down, uh, which is in New York, uh, the, I believe the law is it was a misdemeanor, but he is past the two years. So somehow Alvin Bragg had to find a way, and he upgraded it to a felony, which is not really a felony, a way, the way my legal department is telling us uh, uh, the laws in New York. And I got that from Judge Weinberg, uh, who was a Supreme Court uh, judge in New York. Uh, you do that to a former president over an item like that, that is going far beyond the call of duty. And I think they're going a little bit too far. And it's going to become, like you said before on the radio, a third world country where we indict each other's presidents. I mean, give me a break. I mean, if we had a national a poll or a national vote, who is more guilty? Hunter Biden? who has uh, tens of millions of dollars from the Chinese, from the Ukrainians, etc. Who's more guilty? Or Donald Trump, the lawyer giving uh, a prostitute that's trying to shake him down $130,000. My God, what does this world come to, uh, Bo? I mean, I am worried for our country, and I'm worried that, you know what I said to a U.S. senator the other night? I said, I am worried that 2076 is the 300th year uh, anniversary for the United States of America. Are we going to make those 300 years? I am worried because the Venezuela, 
was the wealthiest country in, in, in South America. And in 20 short years, when the socialists took over, they converted Venezuela from the wealthiest country in South America to a vast To the poorest. We are headed in that direction. This is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it in America. And it does demand, John, it demands a political response. And that is in itself scary. If the Republicans fail to respond to this politically, they will be driven out of office, many of them, by their own voters who are expecting and now will be demanding a political response. This call for protest from President Trump is a legitimate request. Of course, it should be protested, but in that also lies danger. Because as we have seen, protest can be infiltrated. There can be any number of bad actors who simply put on a red hat or a shirt that say they support Trump, but their goal is to bring disruption and to try to foment violence. There is a lot that could go wrong here that could uh, that could help turn this country further and further into an unstable nation. And that is not hyperbole. This is the kind of thing that could destabilize a nation if it spirals out of control. And that's one of the things I think I hear you you expressing your fears about. It's certainly something that I'm fearful about. I'm very, very fearful about it. Is Donald Trump guilty of of, of causing his lawyer uh, to make that payment? Probably, but does it does it uh, hold up that uh, that he's passed the statute of limitations for that uh, uh, for that misdemeanor? misdemeanor? Should he be should he be put in handcuffs? The former president of the United States put in handcuffs and mugged and fingerprinted over a situation like that. Things in Washington are, are much much worse. Let's talk about Alvin Bragg for a minute. Many New Yorkers don't feel safe on the streets of New York. The New York City subways, people are afraid to ride them because of fear that they will be harmed by criminals. Under Alvin Bragg, one of the first things he did, even before assuming office, was state his intention to reduce the accountability that criminals would face under his jurisdiction. He said there were a number of crimes he would not prosecute, including crimes that involve guns. And we hear from all the time from the left, guns, 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 guns. One of the first things Alvin Bragg did was said, say there were going to be certain crimes, even involving guns, that his office would not prosecute. People protested that. He seemed to back down a little bit. But then when he took office, what we see is under New York's failed bail reform laws, Criminals are housed, in some cases, less than 24 hours after they're incarcerated. incarcerated. They're back on the streets, and they're back committing crimes. Is Alvin Bragg doing doing this political act that he's doing to prosecute, persecute Donald Trump? How do you think New Yorkers will respond? John, you're tied into New York's business community. How do you think your businessmen and, and, and women that keep this city afloat. How do you think they're going to respond to this? Bo, 484,000 New Yorkers in the last 24 months have moved out. The governor and the state legislature 
is planning a, the new highest ever uh, taxes for New York. If those 484,000 have moved out and they keep moving out, who's going to pay all these new taxes? We're going we're gonna to reach the level where New York is going to blow up like it did in the 70s where they had to put it in controls to, 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 to be able to make it work. I mean, it's, it's very sad for the nation. It's very sad for New Yorkers. And uh, I, I call upon the district attorney on Monday to think twice before doing something like this. Should there be a, rec- if, if it is possible, I don't even know whether it's possible under New York law. I'll have to research it. But under do you New think York that... Law, New- under New York law, the governor of the state, and it's been done before under Governor uh, Pataki, I believe, under New York law, the governor could, could re- either remove the district attorney for not doing their job on prosecuting crimes and guns, and murders, or they could put in an overseer or, or something like that. And I'm not a lawyer, but I've paid enough legal fees in my lifetime that I should be an honorary lawyer. <laughs> Do you think that Governor Hochul should intervene here? Uh, if common sense prevails, but she, yes, but, but she's got her own problems because April 1st is uh, the 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 big fight in Albany with the budget, and for whom do the bells going to toll? Is it going to toll for the governor uh, uh, fighting for a little bit of common sense, or is it going to toll for the legislature, which is completely socialist at this time, and and they want to convert New York into a socialist uh, uh, society? And don't forget what happened to Venezuela. Venezuela disappeared. In 20 you know, short years when the socialists took over. Let us go back and revisit. The, you've mentioned Venezuela before. We watched this happen. We watched when Hugo Chavez took over Venezuela, one of the first things that he did was an unconstitutional packing of that nation's Supreme Court. He then nationalized businesses, and he actually even arrested some Americans there with, I sad to say, no response from America, and in his quest to nationalize some of the businesses, he actually diverted some of that nation's resources to Cuba. He saw Cuba as he saw himself as an ally under the uh, under Fidel Castro, who was his socialist mentor, and he formed a very close alliance with Cuba. He then started also trying to do everything he could to undermine the United States of America. Within a period of five years, it had already started on a rapid descent. People could not find medicine. There once They have some of the most uh, intensive oil uh, resources in the world, but yet Venezuelans did not have enough energy to keep their lights on under his leadership. And the cost of oil in Venezuela was shockingly high. Inflation went rampant. People began, and this is not hyperbole, literally starving to death in that nation. Those that could afford to flee left. 
Venezuela has now moved from the most stable democracy in the Southern Hemisphere into a third, a total third world status nation. And you would think that watching this happen, that the leadership in that country would say, okay, this isn't working. But then after Hugo Chavez passed, his successor, Madero, doubled down. And to this day, they are now stuck at the bottom of the heap, almost, in South America. And you're, we, and John, yep, go ahead. We have a world crisis. China is aligning themselves with Russia. Saudi Arabia, talking Saudi Arabia into uh, Iran. Uh, I, China is creating an entire uh, system to oppose the free world. You got China aligning with Iran. Uh, India is uh, is becoming sympathetic to China and and uh, Russia because they're buying oil at a very large discount. Uh, Saudi Arabia doesn't trust Washington. Uh, we we have a major problem in our hands. And this is going to exacerbate things and make it worse. They always talk about how the U.S. looks in the eyes of the world. What do you think this will make the United States look like to our international allies and to our, not only to our friends, but to our enemies in the world, John? Well, if Saudi Arabia doesn't trust Washington, how far do you want to go? Who else is going to stop trusting Washington? Wow. We are in unprecedented times. I'm going to urge people to keep it here. I'm going to urge people to keep it here on WABC for the latest in news on this. Follow this all the way through. John Katsimatidis, owner, savior of WABC Radio, and our owner. Thank you for joining us this morning, John, and keep it here. I know you're going to be talking about this as well throughout the weekend and all next week. You're listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. It's Sunday morning. With us today is Mario Economo, a banker from London, Zurich, uh, New York, and uh, lives in Europe, and one smart guy. And uh, Mario Economo, give us an update. What's going on in Europe? There's, there's so many things going on. We'd love, Americans would want the European perspective. Yes, good morning, uh, Cats Roundtable. So the big news this week, of course, is the uh, ongoing banking situation, uh, both in the U.S. but also now in Europe and specifically in Switzerland with a bank called Credit Suisse, which is a very large bank in Switzerland. Um, the Swiss uh, na National Bank went ahead and provided uh, funding of roughly $54 billion U.S. dollars uh, for liquidity purposes to that Swiss bank. The initial reaction was good. The shares bounced back. However, the next day the shares actually pulled back again. And this raises a very interesting question when anything that involves banks uh, comes up, and that is the issue of confidence. The principal thing that drives banks is confidence, the confidence that people and markets have in them. If that confidence is eroded for any reason, a number of things can happen which are usually not good for a bank and for the banking system uh, in, a broader, in broader terms in an economy. 
So it would appear that the reason the shares pulled back is because people now are asking, was the $54 billion enough, or is the bank going to need more money? Our Treasury Secretary in the United States, uh, Yellen, uh, said on Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon, uh, that uh, uh, they're not going to bail out any uh, uh, additional banks. Everybody's scratching their head, what does that mean? Uh, and the other a big rumor uh, is that uh, Bank America uh, is going to take over Signature Bank on Monday morning. And but there's other uh, uh, other rumors are coming by that there's as many as eight bidders for bank, uh, for for Signature Bank. What else do uh, you want to tell the American people about Europe? Well, uh, we also saw uh, last week that the European Central Bank, Ms. Lagarde, actually went ahead and increased interest rates by 50 basis points. This was actually rather surprising and alarming to many people. I suspect she did it because she believes and wants to show that there is not going to be uh, a situation with the European banks, that in fact they are on much more solid ground than they were after the 2008 financial uh, crisis. Uh, it's true, the European banks are much stronger than they used to be, but I'm not sure raising 50 basis points uh, for the interest rate at this stage makes sense, principally because it's only going to create a situation where loan repayments on variable loan rates, which many mortgages in Europe are driven by, are going to go up. That compounded with the food price inflation and the energy inflation that people in Europe are seeing will eventually lead to more defaults which is only in going to America, create more headaches. In America, as I predicted, uh, crude oil went down to $65 on Friday, and uh, which will eventually lead, and there's a lag period, it will lead to uh, uh, lower uh, uh, food prices and lower gasoline prices, and inflation goes away. So hopefully the American regulators that are coming out next week I was going to do the smart thing, and I called upon they should drop it a point instead of even considering raising it. Yes, I don't disagree with you. Um, if, even if they don't drop it a point, if they don't actually do anything and they just leave interest rates where they are, would actually be, in my opinion, a positive sign. However, if they do decide to do something like increasing the rates, they're going to run into the exact same risk that the Europeans are. There's one very important thing that you need to keep in mind. America is an energy producer. America is natural resource rich. America is a very large food producer. The European Union is not. It's not uh, a strong energy producer. In fact, it has very limited energy, and that's principally through its nuclear power plants. Uh, it doesn't have oil and gas. It needs to import those. Uh, food also and wheat have to be imported. So it's very difficult to, co to compare the inflation situation in the U.S. with that in Europe. China is creating new alliances. Uh, between Russia, Pakistan, India, Turkey, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Even though Turkey, a couple of days ago, that they are allowing Finland or Norway to enter NATO? Yes, they're going to allow uh, Finland to enter. Uh, they're not prepared to allow Sweden at the moment because they believe Sweden continues to harbor uh, terrorists, Kurdish terrorists, and they want the Swedes to uh, return those people to Turkey 
Turkey, sorry, to be um, uh, tried in court. Uh, you raised an interesting point about China. Uh, China's president's going to be visiting Russia and uh, President Putin on Monday for two days. They're going to release some joint statements when they're done. We know that one of the joint statements is going to involve greater economic cooperation, but they're also going to be releasing a statement which is going to call for essentially greater military cooperation. The one thing that the U.S. and Europe were hoping would never happen looks like it's going to, in fact, happen. Um, adding to this whole headache with respect to interest rates, banks, the situation economically in Europe and in the U.S., we're now going to have to sit down and concern ourselves with an additional factor, which is that of the Chinese and the Russians working together to break the economies of both the dollar and the euro. Um, and that's an additional headache that I don't think that the U.S. at the moment, and definitely not the Europeans, are in a position uh, to have going on. In other words, an additional headache that they're going to have to focus on. If, if we look at France, for example, the situation there right now is very bad. There are protests. Uh, the president in France essentially by presidential degree passed legislation increasing the retirement age from 62 to 64. He did this because he wasn't going to be able to secure the votes he needed in their, in their lower house of parliament in order to pass this legislation. Um, he has used this measure, his government has used this measure roughly 11 times, if I'm not mistaken, in less than a year that he's been president. That's not a good sign. Um, when presidents start running things by decree, uh, and they start bypassing either a parliament or a congress, uh, usually that means they don't have the support of the people, and good things never come out of that. So everybody needs to also keep their eye on what's going on internally in France. This will have an impact on the uh, European economy in a broader uh, sense. Uh, we also need to keep our eye on what's going on in the Ukraine, because Poland and Slovakia, if I'm not mistaken, have said that they are going to actually be sending jets. I don't suspect that the jets they're going to be sending are going to be very effective. I suspect the Russians will knock those out of the sky. And in fact, if I may, we're now seeing another situation. They're committing with suicide. Those those MiG jets are so old, they're lucky to be able to fly them, and they're committing suicide for those poor pilots that are, that are going to be flying them. The battlefield has changed. What we've seen in the Ukraine is a return to what was fighting during World War I. Trenches, people in mud firing alt artillery, machine guns across no man's land, very limited aircraft. The reason is because the S-300 missile systems are able to knock these planes out of the sky, so nobody is prepared to put planes up that they know they're going to lose, especially the Russians. We have seen use by the Russians of long-range missiles, um, in order to hit certain targets deep into Ukraine. But on the battlefield itself, it's still hand-to-hand -hand combat fighting. So all the things that we've invested in, we're going to need to sit down and, and go back to the drawing board and see if, in fact, uh, in a future war between two large um, adversaries, uh, will we be able to use a lot of our new weapon systems, or, is, or are we going to go back to what was original fighting, trench warfare, machine guns, tanks, uh, artillery, um, and that sort of thing? And I think that that's, that's very important. One last thing I would like to say before I close today, um, the, a commander in the Ukrainian army has essentially been relieved of his command. Uh, he came out and basically spoke up about the uh, number of casualties that the Ukraine has actually had. Uh, and he said that he is receiving troops coming to him from the Ukraine to the front lines that are untrained, uh, do not have enough ammunition, do not have enough weapons, and that they're essentially being killed in a matter of hours. 
Um, of course, the Ukrainian uh, uh, government did not support this and said it's not true. However, he has said that the number of casualties that the Ukraine has actually had are far larger than what's being disclosed by the Ukrainians. And we do have an opportunity in September in India at the next G20 for everybody to sit around the table and to uh, put down their thoughts and to reach some type of an agreement to at least reach a ceasefire in the Ukraine so that everybody can determine what the next steps will be. Mario Konamu, thank you for the update for the American people, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, and enjoy your Sunday. Uh, with us today is uh, Larry Kudlow, the country's leading economist, the number one show on Fox Business. Uh, it came out number one for like 11 months in a row, and the number one show on WABC on Saturday mornings between 10 o'clock and, and 1 o'clock. And Larry Kudlow, the, the world, the solar system wants to know what the heck is going on. There's so many moving parts. Where do you want to begin? The only thing I can say, John, is... Um Keep your eyes and ears open over the weekend because you don't know what's going to happen, honestly. I had a miserable dinner on Sunday night. I was walking to the dinner last Sunday night, and all of a sudden uh, my my phone goes off. They're they're closing down Signature Bank. Now, now today, there's a rumor going out uh, around that Monday morning Bank America is going to take over Signature Bank. Have you heard that rumor? No, I have not heard that rumor, but, I look, I, I wouldn't. There's nothing out of the question because the the supervision here is very erratic. I mean, the Fed was late last week, and they should have opened the discount window. They didn't have to guarantee the uninsured deposit. They could have done it differently, put the window in play. I mean, I like this funding, the backup funding that they have. I think that's very good. Uh, this deal with the 10 banks or whatever for $30 billion, Strikes me as, you know, it's okay, John, but it's not impressive. There was a lot of borrowing. You probably may have seen this from the Fed statistics that come out Thursday night. The discount window was about $325 billion worth. The backstop was about another $150 billion. My suspicion is, and I don't know for sure, but my suspicion is when I see big numbers like that, it's more than a couple of banks we've been talking about. There are more banks involved, probably more regional banks. It's not the big banks. It's the regional banks. So you said keep your eyes and ears open. So what, uh, Larry Edcox, so what differentiates the big banks from little banks? Um, they all have long-term uh, assets, and their liabilities are short-term, and the interest rate's going up on them, this, inter- this intermediation. Uh, isn't uh, isn't that a problem for a big bank as well as a small bank? Well, it, it, it is a problem, but you know what we're learning. And look, I don't. I hate to you know use a broad brush, but the big banks uh, are better at hedging and managing their liquidity, or at least that's the theory, Eddie. That's not always true, <laughs> but that's the theory. Uh, but they are very well capitalized, and this is important. Now, you could say, well, the regionals have plenty of capital, regulatory capital, and that would be true. But um, what we've learned is that their their hedging techniques, their asset and liability management has been lacking. I mean, it may be that this is just focused on a handful of bad actors among these regional banks, particularly in California. Look, the San Francisco Fed, this is part of this little drama. The Mm -hmm. San Francisco Fed run by Mary Daly has done a terrible job 
uh, in their supervisory role, you know, sending in bank examiners and inspecting these things. I mean, they weren't on top of it. And um, mostly Washington didn't hear about this crisis until late last week and over the weekend. So that's a really bad thing. They just didn't do what they were supposed to do. But again, I don't believe for a minute at the moment this is 2008. But having said that, no one is smart enough. No one has a clear enough crystal ball. When, you know, when these things hit, contagion can spread like a virus. And that's why I say it's important to keep a, on top of the news for folks like us Larry, over the weekend. The way I understand it, that the Fed broke records about how much they raised the interest rates, how fast they raised them. And what happened is the value of the bonds in, in those portfolios went down. The mm-hmm. value of the real estate that has collateral went down. So mm-hmm. it caused capital problems. And mm-hmm. uh, by raising the, the rate so fast and the Fed didn't realize that, that there was a, a bomb, a bomb going off, not only in the real estate industry, that, that completely almost uh, has gone south, but also in the portfolios in the bank. And uh, that's my analysis. Well, that's look, that's true. I mean, I would add to that. There's a liability asset mismatch that went on because, you know, you take these banks uh, on the West Coast, for example, and I think it's true for Signature Bank also. Uh, in the last year, they had to pay up for these uninsured deposits. So the cost of money exceeded the return on money because, as you say, as the Fed tightened, look, inflation's the cruelest tax of all. You know, you were running 9% inflation the first third of the year, and you're still running about 5 or 6% inflation. That kills these bonds. They bought those bonds with coupons a couple of years ago of 1, 1.25%, 1.5%. So they've been slaughtered. And they didn't hedge properly. A couple of hours ago, I understand Yellen has said that we're not going to bail out any future uh, banks. I, I just don't know what that means, John. You know, <laughs> does that mean no more FDIC? If you out? voted, if you voted Democratic, you don't uh, you, you get bailed out. If you voted Republican, you don't get yeah. bailed out. <laughs> yeah. That's what it seems. We right? have to laugh a little bit on a Friday, on a Friday afternoon. If you're investing, if you're investing in climate change. Or diversity, equity, and ESG, you'll get a loan or a bailout. If you want to buy uh, uh, oil or gas or build a pipeline, you don't get a bailout. Yeah, I mean, really, her performance yesterday was just dreadful. And, and I, I, you know, I worked with a very, very, very smart Treasury Secretary in the uh, uh, Trump years, Steve Mnuchin. We worked hand in glove together, NEC and Treasury. You, you, you have to tell the truth. You can't just mimic the president. Okay, you have. If, if something comes up. You should pivot and talk about something else. And what she did yesterday at that hearing was just the worst thing I've ever seen. Joining us now is former Congressman Barney Frank. He is one of the authors, of course, of that landmark legislation, Dodd-Frank, meant to prevent bank collapses. And you've been speaking out a lot. You were also on the banking committee. Certainly know your stuff. And, uh, Congressman, great to have you here on the show. Thank you. It's an important topic, obviously. Uh, Congressman John Casamitidis here. Uh, I do I do a lot of business with Signature Bank, and and Sunday night I'm walking to dinner on Sunday night, and all of a sudden I get the 
the, the, the beep on my phone. I said, oh, crap. Oh, my God. You know, because I had a lot of money in that bank. And uh, uh, how did this whole thing come about? Well, first of all, your money will be protected by the announcement that the uh, deposits will be backed up, which is important. Uh, I think it had to do with the uh, beginning of FTX and the, uh, the the question of crypto. We in Signature were not at risk because of crypto. We were early on in providing a platform for customers who wanted to deal with each other in crypto to do so. But we were not ourselves. Uh, we didn't have heavy. We didn't have crypto deposits. We weren't invested in crypto. But there was this. Association crypto meant trouble. When Silicon Valley Bank, which was a big crypto bank and much more heavily invested in it than us, failed, that led some people to be nervous. So we got on Friday a classic run on the bank from depositors who said, Well, wait a minute, crypto, that's bad. We're going to take our money out of signature and put it into JP Morgan Chase, et cetera, because it's not guaranteed, but we think they are safer. Uh, apparently, uh, the New York State federal regulators, they're the ones who close signature, not the federal people, but the, the New York State financial regulator uh, decided to shut us down. I think it was to send a message that you should stay away from crypto if you're a bank, even if you've done it as responsibly as us. They announced that they did it because they lost confidence in the leadership. But we were at a bank board meeting on February 15th with the regulators, a regularly scheduled meeting. And including that New York state regulator, and they never whispered that they had any lack of confidence in the official. If they, in fact, thought there were problems with our executives, they had an obligation to tell the independent director, and they didn't do it. Wow, that's so, surprising. Can't, can't, they shouldn't, in my opinion, they should have, when I was uh, chairman of the executive committee of First New York Bank, and the regulators came in and said, you have to fire the chairman, and uh, I just fired, we fired the chairman and I took over as chairman. Uh, can't no, they put somebody else in charge? That example. Yeah. That's what they, that's what they absolutely failed to do. Literally, let me repeat. February 15th, I think it was, we were in the board meeting in New York. Every independent director, all six of us, plus the executives, the regulator who ultimately shut us down, and they never said a word about lacking confidence. Um, so I think that was kind of an excuse. Oh, they also complained that the data they were getting was somewhat jumbled, uh, but that's because we were in the midst of this crisis. I believe by Sunday morning, we had staved off uh, the executives of our bank, the deposit outflow, and we had gotten liquidity. Um, uh, for some reason, the New York State regulator decided to shut us down. Other banks, like First Republic, in a similar situation, not under that New York regulator. First uh, Republic, First Republic, the J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, was his birthday on Monday, put in seventy billion dollars into First Republic, and today I believe that uh, a conglomerate of banks put in another thirty or forty billion, yeah, and if they keep them above water. Why didn't they do that with Signature? Why did they just shut them down? The reason is that the difference here, John. As usual, you understand it. It was the New York regulator. First Republic is not a New York under the New York regulator. It was the New York regulator that decided to shut us down. So this is this is uh, David Patterson, Congressman. Was there a uh, point when even the New York State regulator consulted with the feds before doing this? I I don't know. I mean, if they knew that the Fed was planning to 
do this and the FDIC, the backstop depositors, there would have been no rationale for shutting us down, except they're saying they lost confidence in the officials. And as John noted, uh, in most cases, in all cases, if the regulators think there's a problem with the people running the bank, they have an obligation to tell the board. We sat with them two weeks ago and they never mentioned this. Uh, this is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. And we continue with the Cats Roundtable with truth, justice, and the American way, because that's what a heart believes in. With us today is Dr. Peter Michlos, and a good friend, a doctor, a uh, scientist, a uh, historian, one good guy, Dr. Mihalos, what are we talking about today? Well, today, John, we're going to talk about how to help keep us healthy and increase our health span. And one of the most important areas of our body, it turns out to be the gut microbiome. And what's the gut microbiome? It's the millions of bacteria and viruses that live inside our gut. And it turns out that they're a modulator and a major part of healthy aging. And basically... The gut, as my friend uh, Dr. Magdalene in Southampton, the integrative medicine doctor, says our gut is our second brain. And the gut is really a telephone wire to the environment, and the environment basically gives it signals, and it changes as we age. And things that it communicates with are the soil, the plants we eat, our diet, our medications. And even when we have reduced social contact with other human beings because from the time we're born, our first microbiome is what we get from our mother. And uh, the interactions with our mother is uh, is really what we get in the beginning. And then when we're kids playing up or playing stickball or in the park and we're touching the soil and interacting, and that's why kids who grow up, for example, on farms and places like that, they tend to be more immunologically resilient because they have a greater variety and diversity in the gut microbiome. And now some of the latest research is even showing that gut dysbiosis, which means when your gut balance is not that is not regulated, it's associated with colorectal cancer. And, you know, like, for example, people I see eating burnt bacon or burnt things on the barbecue, that really black burn stuff contains nitrosamines, which is now almost definitely associated with colorectal cancer, which is really a big deal. We now know that the gut also drinks water just like we do, and they need water, and we drink poor quality water. That affects it. When we eat, uh, when we take antibiotics, if we overuse them, that's one of the concerns. It sometimes kills some of the good bacteria. That's why people who eat uh, chicken or beef or things that are treated with antibiotics because when they're in crowded cages, they don't want them to get infections. When we consume that meat and that chicken, guess what? It affects our gut microbiome. Your body makes three products. It makes uh, a urine, uh, liquid waste. It makes uh, a solid waste. Now, it also makes gases. What part of the body makes the gas that uh, you... Uh... You fought it. What happens is it's the bacteria. The bacteria are eating the fiber. So when you eat, for example, things like beans, that when the bacteria see beans and they start eating it up, they start actually producing methane gas. And that's what happens when that gas is created. 
And sometimes gas, a little gas can be good because sometimes it's actually a propulsion mechanism that helps to empty the bowel. And when we actually go into the toilet, a lot of that is actually piles and piles of bacteria that have been fed fiber. Processed food is the food without the fiber so that it can last longer on the shelf. But the fiber is the part that the bacteria eat. And when those bacteria eat those fibers, they release certain chemicals like serotonin, which is the happy hormone. They found that when they transferred from uh, happy people to depressed people, they did something called fecal transplants, they got happier. And the same in the reverse. If you do it from a depressed person and you transfer it to a non-depressed person, that it would change the behavior. And they've done that in the animal model because now they know that the imbalance is even associated with diabetes and obesity. So they took a fat mouse's feces and transferred it to the bowels in a capsule to the uh, skinny mouse, and that mouse then became obese. So now we know that our gut microbiome is actually affecting obesity, diabetes, and even atopy, which is a a condition that's basically an overreaction in our immune system. I take a probiotic and a prebiotic. Anything else I should be taking? No, basically, you you know, one of the best things to do is have it analyzed to see what's in your gut, and then they can advise you on which ones to take. But they really can't hurt. They pass through the... uh, the system and uh, probiotics and prebiotics are relatively benign. Of course, like with anything, you don't want to overdo it, but it does help many people get regular. I personally take one myself, and I think that it it does help, and you want to keep that regular balance. And as we both know, the the bacteria also anticipate when they're going to eat, and that's why the intermittent fasting and only between noon and 8, they know when the food is coming. They know that Peter and John are going to eat lunch at around noon, and they're going to finish eating by 8, so they need to know when to wrap up their business and do what they have to do. And then at night when we're not eating for those 16 hours, they know, hey, guys, it's time to work on the immune system. It's time to work on cleaning up bad cells in our body, dead, dying cells, and also increasing T-killer cells, which go after cancer cells. So instead of focusing on digesting, like some people snack and pick day and night, that's the worst thing you can do, and we now know that through documented science. Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you for uh, what you uh, talk to our audience about, and hopefully we all live longer, and uh, I'm going to be there to give you your 100th birthday. Thank you so much. God bless you, and thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. With us today is Dick Morris, an advisor to President Trump and advisor to President Clinton. He's got his ears close to the ground in Washington and all over the country. And let's find out where the heck he's thinking about today. Dick Morris, what's going on? Well, DeSantis, I think, has made a huge mistake. And, uh, And I think that he, it really, really is an enormous thing that could 
terribly jeopardize his run for president if he decides to run. Um, he told Tucker Carlson in an interview that the what he called the territorial dispute between Russia and Ukraine uh, was not in America's vital national interest, that we shouldn't do anything about it. And uh, first of all, to call it a territorial dispute is absurd. It's an invasion. And secondly, by telling the enemy, telling the Russians that we're not going to do anything if they invade other countries, he's giving Putin a green light to invade Poland and Hungary and the Baltic states. And uh, it's, it's, it's irresponsible and it's stupid for him to do that. Uh, he's going into the middle of a war where the United States is heavily supporting Ukraine. And he's telling Putin that he doesn't think it should be in our national interest. And he's telling Putin, when you invade another country, we're not going to act because it's not in our national interest. It reminds me very much of a mistake that caused the Korean War. Uh, Dean Acheson, when he was Secretary of State, issued a statement six months before the North invaded, saying that defending Korea was not in our vital interest. And as a result of that, Stalin agreed to invade, and the Korean War started. And DeSantis has done the exact same thing now. And it's, it shows what a rookie he is in foreign policy, and how bad it would be to trust him with foreign policy in the U.S. In the meantime, Trump's position is a very good one, which is we have to end this war, and he'll bring pressure on both sides to end it very quickly. And of course he can, because uh, he controls the flow of aid to Ukraine, and if Russia doesn't go along, he can increase it. If Russia does go along, he can decrease it and make them settle. And the obvious settlement is hang on to the territory you now control. Uh, Ukraine has 80% of its country, let them keep it. Russia has 20%, let them keep it. And uh, stop this damn war before it becomes nuclear and global. I personally feel we don't really know what the heck is going on between uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine. And and uh, I understand NATO and the United States is supporting the Ukraine. I understand that. Um, and uh, as far know. as... What's not to know? Captain? I don't know who's What's telling me the tanks? truth, Dick. You want to know the they truth? I, I don't know who's telling us the truth. That's the that, Kat, that's the way I feel. Pat, they invaded the country with tanks. I understand. And if, if President people. Trump was there, the they would not have invented it. If yeah, President Trump was there, they would not have invaded it. Right? You're right. But okay. what do you mean you don't know what's going on? You, no, no, I don't know who's really telling us the truth, truth. Well, the truth is that Russia... Both sides are full of propaganda. Yeah, they always are in a war. Yes. The basic fact is this is an invasion, and it's in our vital interest to stop it. And when DeSantis sends a signal to Russia that we don't give a damn if you invade other countries, he's inviting them to go all over the world. Either that or he's waiting for political contributions. <laughs> well, let me tell you about DeSantis. Uh, I know a lot of people that helped uh, DeSantis become governor originally uh, five years ago. And I remember I, all all the people that helped him become governor, he never returned any calls. And yeah. uh, he's got a personality deficit, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, he's and like uh, his wife is very Nobody nice. His Nobody wife is very nice. Yes. Nobody likes DeSantis. He doesn't return calls. He doesn't talk to people. He's, he's entirely a world unto himself. I agree. And, uh, 
that is the purpose of the debates that are coming that uh, McDaniel, uh, our, uh, our uh, RNC chair, uh, Rona, has said they're going to start in June or July. And yeah. uh, how did the British say it, Dad? Uh, Dick? Let things sort themselves out. Yeah, but let's just say on the debates, John, I believe that the Trump should refuse to debate if there's a panel of media asking the questions. I think that what he should do is say Lincoln Douglas debate. He and I debate, and we uh, well have let's time let's on it, let's do this. We cut the press out of it. I hear what you're saying. Let let uh, let them uh, argue with uh, the the RNC chairman and uh, sort it out. I think they should. Now you're going to be on at noontime today on Sunday yep. at 12 noon on WABC Radio. You're getting warmed up uh, this morning. Uh, yep. Tell us what you're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about how stupid DeSantis is for telling Russia that it's okay to invade anybody you want. Yeah. It's not, it's not smart. You're right. Dick Morris, you're right. You're right. It's not smart. I'm going to tune in at 12 o'clock noon on WABCradio.com, 770 on your dial, on your iPhone, 77 WABC. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.